Welcome. I'm Connor Beaton, and this is the Man Talk Show, training for men and answers for women. Now, before I introduce my guest for today's show, I uh, just wanted to touch on a few things. So first and foremost, I hope that all of you are doing well in this lockdown. I know it's a very strange time. And for my listeners down in the States, um, I know that many of you are going to be in social isolation at least until the end of April. Um, I am up here in Canada right now, and Vienna's up here with me. And uh, I know this can be a very trying time, and I know that there are a lot of challenges that can come uh, about with this. You know, I'm sure that many of you have lost jobs. Um, you know, you're confined, maybe separated from your partner. Uh, you might be stuck with family, <laughs> which could be good or bad, depending on on your family. Um, but, uh, you know, I think this is a very challenging time for a lot of people where there's a lot of panic, there's a lot of anxiety, there's a lot of worry and fear. There, and And mostly, mostly, there's a lot of uncertainty. And uncertainty is one of the biggest challenges that we as individuals and we as a collective face, because speculation can start to come into place. And we can get lost trying to figure out the unsolvable question of what's going to happen, right? What's going to happen tomorrow? What's going to happen next week? And so I just wanted to have a quick little reminder to all of you and just send a little bit of love and groundedness and presence to the reality that even if it's not you, even if you're taking this in stride, there are probably many people around you that are stressed, that are anxious, that feel you know, uh, dysregulated and out of sorts because life has changed on a dime and they couldn't do anything about it. And and so there's a lot of challenges that, that people are facing. And so share and spread a little bit of love. Um, reach out to somebody in your life that maybe you you normally wouldn't connect with, but specifically reach out to the strong people, right? Reach out to the people that, you know, always seem to have it all together and just check in with them, you know, check in with the people that, you know, are dealing with the anxiety and maybe are falling apart right now, obviously check in with them and support them, but definitely check in with the strong people that, uh, that always seem to have it all together and make sure that they're doing okay. Send them some love, send them some appreciation and gratitude. Uh, so just a quick reminder, um, housekeeping notes, uh, Vienna and I have the get the love you want course basically is a relationship foundation course that you can dive into. Uh, we talk about conflict and how to turn that conflict into connection, great communication skills, boundaries, sex and intimacy. It is a wonderful course. It is everything that we should have learned in school about relationships, but didn't. <laughs> That's kind of the way that a lot of the people that have gone through it have explained it. So we've had over a thousand people go through it now and they've absolutely loved it. So check out the link in my Instagram bio uh, or go to Vienna's website, newyorkcouplescounseling.com or you can check out my website website, connorbeaton.com, uh, and source that out there. Also, very exciting. I have been doing free weekly uh, breathwork workshops and just sort of teaching some people the basics, uh, but also just bringing some community together in a time where, uh, you know, breathwork is needed and we're stuck at home and we all want something to do. So I have something exciting coming out in the next couple of weeks that it's going to be for those of you that are the breathers, that love breathing, that want to get to know breathwork, that uh, are curious about it, and uh, it can be a really great tool for dealing with stress and anxiety. Um, I recommend it and teach it to all my clients. So I, that will be uh, coming out shortly, so keep an eye out for that. All right, joining me today is the wonderful Dr. Miles Spar. And um, I've been wanting to have somebody on, on the show for a while 
that really is a, a specialist and an expert on men's health uh, to talk about everything men's health. So let me tell you about Dr. Spar. Uh, he is a leading authority in integrative men's health and an author, teacher, researcher, TEDx speaker, contributor to Men's Journal and the LA Times. He's been an expert on Dr. Oz, on the Doctor's TV shows, uh, and faculty member at UCLA, University of Arizona, and Duke University Schools of Medicine. So he really, he's done it all. Um, he's an incredible wealth of information, and his focus has always been about empowering men to achieve their goals through greater health. So that's what we really talk about today. We talk about um, where are the where's the intersection between health and performance. Uh, we get into uh, getting into some more of the, the granular understanding of you know good prostate health, good testicular health, uh, good health in terms of uh, your heart and your brain. What kind of nutrition is important? We we don't really get too much into nutrition. It's more so in, in the caretaking side of what do we need to look for in terms of having things go wrong or go well in the body? How do we optimize our body and our health uh, and our fitness in order to get the most out of ourselves uh, in our career, in our family, uh, in our relationships, sexually, you name it. And so um, this episode dives deep into men's health. There's a few different topics that we talk about. We also get into um, erectile dysfunction, and we also talk about some of the causes of that and how it can be very mental and some of the pieces that you can do to, to face that. Um, so this is a sort of like an all-encompassing look at men's health. It's really, really wonderful. I learned a lot uh, talking with Dr. Spar. So without any further delay, please welcome Dr. Miles Spar. Thank you. Great to be here. Yeah, great to have you uh, in a time of somewhat calamity, right? Everyone's sort of on lockdown and at home and yes. uh, <laughs> listening to podcasts. <laughs> yes, it's a little crazy, but that's good that they're listening to podcasts because there's a lot of amazing content out there. So hopefully people are discovering things that they didn't have time to check out before. Like yeah. your podcast. Yeah. Yeah, there we go. There we go. Uh, wonderful. Well, thanks so much for joining me. And uh, let's just dive in. And I'm just going to ask you the question that I ask all my guests, which is tell us a story about a defining moment in your life that made you who you are today. Sure. So I was um, actually 13 years old in an elevator in Houston, Texas. Um, and we were in the hospital um, taking my dad down for open heart surgery. And this was the second time we had been there. The first time was when I was four, when he had to wait basically a year for them to develop the technology to do the coronary artery bypass graft or cabbage or bypass surgery we hear about. And at the age of 39, he had to have one of those surgeries, one of the first ever done by Denton Cooley, who was one of the leader, leaders in that at Texas Heart Institute. And then there we were again, about 10 years later. And in the elevator, I was there with him, a nurse. He was on the gurney. We were going down taking him to the operating room with my mother and my sister. And as they wheeled him out of the elevator down the hall, he lifted his mask and craned his head back and said, Miles, take care of your mom and sister. You're the man now. And looking back, that was, a, it was, a, it took me until recently to even kind of really crystallize that memory. I just knew that the message was loud and clear that being a man meant don't show weakness, don't show anything you're not good at, be powerful, be strong, don't show vulnerability, 
And I've realized as I've been a men's care specialist over the last 10 years or so that that's underlying a lot of why men don't seek the care they need, why they die younger than women, why they're winning at nine of the top 10 causes of death. Um, And even recently, there's been a decline in life expectancy, which is crazy. You know, you'd think we're advancing technologically and medically and in our understanding of how to keep people alive. And yet the last few years, life expectancy for men has literally dropped, which is, and when you think about it, that means your sons would live shorter lives than you would. And who would think that in 2020, right? And it's because of men not taking care and taking stupid um, risks that they shouldn't be taking, whether it's smoking or drinking or just, you know, having substance abuse issues or whatever it is. So I think, you know, that moment is a big one. And and, and again, just what one thing that made that be crystallized is um, hearing the work of Brene Brown. Have you heard of her? Oh, yeah. So a lot of your listeners might have heard her. She's this amazing psychologist and PhD from Houston, I think Rice University. And she talks about vulnerability and shame in women and how sharing your what you're shameful about really helps decrease your sense of vulnerability. And then she tells a story where a guy basically confronted her and said, you know, your whole hypothesis doesn't work with men at all. Because when I share what I'm vulnerable about, it increases my shame. And I see the reaction of my wife and my daughter of disgust at seeing me sharing something I'm not powerful or, or strong about. Um, and that hearing her work is what made me realize how powerful that sense of having to be the man was in terms of blocking me from really being what I think a successful man should be. Mm. Yeah, well, I, I appreciate you sharing that story. I mean, I think a lot of men can relate to that. And, and I, you know, one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on the show was to actually discuss how medical conditions between men and women somewhat uh, are, are somewhat different and what causes some of those pieces. There's, there's a ton of things that go into this, but one of the things that I've really appreciated about, you know, what you talk about is that you take a very different angle that I think a lot of people are taking. And I've seen this to be very true in the work that I've done with men over the last, you know, seven to 10 years. So maybe let's just start off by creating a little bit of a groundwork here. So can you give the listeners some insight into how you have seen and what the research has shown um, to be different between men's and women's health? Sure. Well, the research shows that men are less than half as likely to even have an identified primary care provider. You know, and some of that makes sense because women have gynecologists that they start going to basically as soon as they're, um, you know, sexually active or at least in their late teens. And they usually will see that person maybe at least once a year. And so that's part of it. But that's also why um, men don't have anybody they trust because A, they don't have a primary care provider. And if they do, it's a general primary care provider. Well, women have their general primary care provider, but then oftentimes they also have this lady care specialist. And men often don't ever have that until maybe they're so old that they have prostate issues and they're getting up an night to urinate and they go see the urologist. So I think, you know, what I see is guys don't ask the questions that are on their mind because they don't have anybody that they feel will give them the answers they're looking for. Um, so we kind of, you know, at the company I'm um, chief medical officer for called Bald Health, we call it gynecology, like G-U-Y necology, because we're trying to be kind of just like women have, we're not taking anything away from gynecologists for women and they play an important role, but we want guys to have 
a similar kind of person. So I think that's a big difference is guys, when they're not feeling quite on their game, they don't really have a specialist to go to. That's what we're developing about because they'll go to their primary care doctor. They'll say, you know, I just don't feel quite on. And they'll get the general physical exam that everybody gets and they'll be told, well, everything's good. You know, your labs are all good. And if the guy just feels like an idiot going back home and saying, see, honey, I told you I didn't need to go. Everything's fine. When they still don't feel sharp or physically where they want to be or, you know, their body composition is what they, isn't what they want. And, and they're just hearing, oh, everything, nothing's broke. You're all good. So I think that's the big difference is men don't have somebody that really gets men. And then the last thing I would say is, and this is to generalize in a huge way, and I don't mean to offend men at all, but women in general resonate more with these messages that we hear about prevention and wellness, and they're more likely to be proactive and say, all right, I'm listening to this podcast about how do I prevent getting sick or what do I do to stay well? Guys aren't going to stop eating a hot dog in the name of wellness. You know, (laughs) they're... And yet the messaging is about wellness. The messaging needs to be about what do you want to achieve? What are your goals? How do I help you perform better? Well, guess what? Eating a hot dog is going to block blood flow to all parts of your body, including your penis, and it's going to affect your erection. Well, guess what? That guy's not going to eat a hot dog anymore. So, you know, it's the messaging we as providers need to do needs to be much more around what are your goals? How do we help you achieve your goals? Not some abstract notion of prevention. Yeah, I mean, I've always found that like humor plays such a large part in a man's capacity to actually engage in these conversations, you know, and uh, yeah. and I think that there are some very real stigmas and stereotypes. Like I grew up in, in central Canada, you know, in northern Alberta, and the stereotypes there were really strong around men's health. Right? It was like, yeah. if, if you're going to see a doctor in your 30s, like there's something wrong with you, you're broken as a man, you know. Yeah. Like you shouldn't even have to engage in that until you're sort of like in your you know late fifties or sixties, and so there's there's a very real stereotype and stigma. And I think one of the things that I've heard you talk about, and I've and I've seen this time and time again, is that the way that a man relates to his own masculinity and his own manhood actually can impact his health and actually can impact whether or not he's going to get that support or or even starting to engage in some of these conversations. So can you say a little bit more about about that, maybe the research or or what you've seen when you're working with men about their perspective of their own masculinity and how that plays into their health and wellness? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, there I think part of it is there's a lot of evidence that shows if you are clear on why you get up in the morning, what you want your health for, you're much likely to achieve a healthier outcome and even live longer. Um, there's a lot of good studies on the power of purpose, which sounds really like hippy dippy, but this came out of, for example, the blue zones. Um, Dan Buettner is this National Geographic journalist who wrote a book many people might have heard about or seen written about called the blue zones, which is all about the areas in the world where people live longer and healthier than anywhere else on earth and have the highest percentage of centenarians that live beyond 100. And he categorized what are the commonalities among these places, such as eating more plants and being more active, having more connections. But one of the things he found was having a sense of purpose, which is called ikigai, because one of the areas is Okinawa, Japan. And in Japanese, ikigai means reason for getting up in the morning, basically. And he found by doing epidemiologic calculations that having a clear sense of purpose actually adds five years to life expectancy. Knowing why you're doing what you want to be doing really makes a difference. And so I think that's especially powerful for guys 
having this clear sense of purpose. And then furthermore, there are studies showing writing that down and having a clear plan of what you're going to do to achieve that purpose makes it three times more likely you'll do those healthy behaviors. So if you just say, you know, I really, you know, the reason I get up in the morning is because I want to be there for my kids and be healthy and be able to play sports with them. All right. So to do that, I need to be fit. So I'm just going to be fit. That's not going to actually compel you to be fit. But if you say the way I'm going to be fit is because I'm going to work out three times a week at this time, and this is exactly what I'm going to do. And you literally are three times more likely to actually do those things that will help you get more fit. That will then help you live longer and be there for your kids. than if you don't have a plan and don't have a reason to do that plan. Hmm. Um, and so I think even more so with guys and with women, this is really important to have your goals and know exactly what steps you need to take to achieve those goals. Very cool. Yeah. I, I love that tie into purpose. And I've seen that with a lot of guys It's like, and I love the brother of icky guy. I've talked about on the podcast before, and that sort of like reason for getting out of bed in the morning. One of the things that, that I have been noticing, and I, I can't remember where the research was done, but I was reading um, a piece of research in psychology today recently, and they were talking about how a certain university had done the study on the effects of a man's perspective of his own masculinity and manhood. And what they found was that the if when men believe that their masculinity or manhood can be threatened or can be taken away by external beliefs or opinions or, you know, by other people or circumstances, that they are they're constantly trying to reinforce or reaffirm that masculinity and it can increase their cortisol levels. So huh. their their opinions become much more uh, concrete and, and much more sort of uh, tied to their sense of well-being. And so they're continually in this state of needing to sort of reinforce like their own masculinity. And because of that, there's increased levels of, of stress hormones, there's increased levels of uh, sl- uh, decreased regulations of sleep patterns because right. they're constantly sort of focusing in on is my masculinity okay? Is my manhood okay? And and that's I think that's interesting because not only does that tie into to health from a, a stress level perspective, but I think it also ties into how a man is going through life. So yeah. have you have you seen that at all in in your work in terms of like maybe why guys show up to get their health checked out or why men sort of stay away? Like what are some of the stigmas that you've noticed from from guys staying away from, you know, getting their prostate checked and doing the health exam and getting their testosterone checked? Like what are some of the common things? Well, first of all, yeah, you're absolutely right. I think, you know, there's this sense of defeat when you finally go seek help. It's Mm -hmm. not about being proactive and saying at the first sign of something going wrong. I should get help. It's the opposite in that John Wayne stoic sense. It's all right, well, I'm going to try everything myself and suture my laceration myself with whatever I can find around the house. And then once it gets really infected, then I'll go, you know, get yeah. help. And I've, oh, I've lost the battle. And it's, yeah. you know, and that's an extreme example, but it's even like, all right, well, I have this, you know, chest pain. Well, I'm, I'm going to do everything myself and ignore it until, and that's what I've seen to your real question is, guys who come in having had chest pain and already having had a heart attack that literally could have killed them instead of at the first sign of something being off calling 911 and seeking help because they just either were in denial about it because of what that means about their masculinity and how vulnerable they felt or because they felt I should be able to handle this on my own, even treat my own heart attack. So, I mean, I've seen it in everything from 
you know, lumps in testicles that hadn't been checked out early because guys didn't want to get it checked out because they were scared it was something serious or they figured it would just go away or they just didn't want to lose that battle and seeking help to literally guys having chest pain um, that they come in days later having said, you know, the last couple of days I've been really out of breath when I do the same workout I did before and I've had this kind of pain and I took all these things for it and they're at high risk to begin with and you find out through an EKG, they actually already had a heart attack and need to be seen right away and get a stent placed to prevent an even bigger life-threatening heart attack. So I think um, those are things I see all the time. STDs is a mm. big one. You know, nowadays, you know, there's just a lot more sex. Well, prior to coronavirus, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, there was now there's a lot of sex on your own, but there was a lot more sex between people up until a couple weeks ago with with dating apps and hookup apps. And um, I found a lot of guys would end up with serious STDs like syphilis in secondary and tertiary stages, which means neurosyphilis, really serious forms of syphilis, again, because they didn't come in to get checked out either because they were embarrassed or they felt there's nothing wrong with me or they just felt impervious, you know, just a lot of different reasons like that. I think those are the big examples. And the last big example I see a ton of is substance abuse. You know, guys who just get a little carried away with how much they're relying on to manage stress. Although lately it's, it's, it's more kind of uppers, you know, guys taking things to kind of be able to get more done, even though they really don't end up being productive um, and not seeking help when they can. So I think that's what we're seeing a lot of guys just taking more risks and taking more chances and doing more substances to try and be more productive when in the end, they're really not. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's such an interesting conversation because I'm, I'm my, obviously like my man brain goes to like, well, how do we fix this? You know, like, right. How do we sort of like convince, because it's something that we talk a lot about in the man talks community and online. It's like, look, like take, take care of your health. Like if you want to be a provider and you want to protect if you want to provide for your family, however that looks, you know, or if you want to protect your family, however that looks, you need to be able to do those things for yourself. But we almost have this, this sort of like badge of honor by sacrificing ourselves as men and putting other people's health and wellness and well-being above ours or in front of ours. And that we, we get a sort of like sense of like pride from that, yes. you know, and and it, it, like that example before of, of the, you were talking about of like, you know, having a heart condition or chest pain or, you know, the, the lump on the, on the testicles, it's like, generally, if you have a lump on your balls, it's not going to go away. Right. Right. Like, right. It, or at least it. it's worth getting checked out. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For yeah. sure. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> and I had a gentleman on the show before who had testicular cancer at 30 and, and he started showing symptoms at 29. Oh, right. Yeah. And he just, yeah. and he ignored it. Right. He just ignored it and ignored it. And, right. and finally it got to the point where it was, you know, he was in excruciating pain and he was, you know, not able to get an erection and all these other sort of issues, but he waited uh, until there was sort of like, you know, extreme. Right. And so which can be tragic because it's very curable when found really early and potentially yeah. life threatening if left to spread. Yeah. Right. So yeah. how, how do we like, how do you make a case 
when you're speaking to men? Like, because yeah. I feel like there's a lot of women that are probably listening to this show. There's a lot of guys that are listening to this show. Right. That, how do I, that, are, yeah. that are like, okay, how do I inform the other men in my life? How do I get them into this space of knowing that it's okay to go to a doctor and sort of not convincing them, but influencing their decision-making because I think that's what we we're really at this place where we do need to start to influence, right? When we see the right. life expectancy of men starting to go down yeah. and the idea of like your children, your son might not live as long as you simply because of these very um, rigid belief systems. How yeah. do we start to influence and shift those? So where do we begin? Yeah, I think we begin two different ways. One is the bigger picture, which is kind of the kind of work you do, which I so admire is let's talk, change what it means to be a successful man. What is manhood really about, right? And that's a big societal thing, okay? So in general, we need to start realizing that, no, stoicism is actually not a great attribute, but being strong and seeking care in order to be a better person is. So anyway, that's a kind of a bigger picture. On an individual level, I think it's all about not going to get help for what's wrong, but going to get Look at your provider like a coach. Look at a provider, a healthcare provider, like you would if you wanted to get better at basketball, if you wanted to work out and build more muscles. Nobody would think, oh, I'm not going to use any resources. I'm just going to figure out how to be better on my own. They know how inefficient that would be. Instead, if they can afford to, they're going to get a personal trainer or a coach. Well, that's what your healthcare practitioner should be. So you don't go in there just with a complaint. You go in there saying, this is what I want to improve at. My brain isn't quite as sharp as it should be, or I have some belly fat and I want to know why, or I'm not feeling energetic and I'm tired every afternoon, or my sleep is for shit or whatever it is. So make sure your provider isn't just saying what's wrong with you, but they're saying what matters to you, not what's the matter with you, what matters to you, what can I help you with? And if your provider isn't able to work with you on that level, get a different provider. Yeah, um, so that's, that's the first thing. And, and that's for women to tell their guys, you know, Say, look, don't, I'm not saying go because there's something wrong with you. I'm saying go because I'll bet they might have some tips to help you achieve your goal. So go with one goal in mind. I want to yeah. lose body fat. I want to gain muscle mass. I want to be sharper mentally and really get them to hone in on that. I love, I love that idea because I think it's, Hey, I mean, it's much more appealing. Like when I hear you talk about it that way, I immediately am like, oh yeah, I am drawn to that, right? How do I grow? How do I expand? How do I become stronger as a man, as a husband, you know, as right. a future father? How do I develop this, this sort of strength within me and using healthcare practitioners as a means to do that rather than something that is, is sort of like uh, symptomatic, right? It's like, oh, I'm showing symptoms of something, help me. Right. And, and I like this sort of this sort of switch. So in in your book, so you wrote this great book, Optimal Men's Health, and right. you talk about it. I mean, it really goes through a, a bunch of different pieces, you know, um, the unique health needs of men, which I think we've sort of touched on optimal health assessment for men and, and some of the different pieces of like what to eat. Um, maybe let's just touch on on some of these pieces. Like I think that there's uh, I think that there's some some pieces to men's health that are that are fairly obvious in terms of like what are causing men to die prematurely and what's causing men to have uh, a lower health than women generally. Is there yeah. anything that we've missed on that front before we start to move into you know how do we start to eat? How do we take care of our prostate and those types of things? Is there anything on the on the other side that we need to look at before we move into that? No, I mean I think the big things I would just I advise every guy to look at is diet, exercise, stress, sleep, and connection. I mean, those are kind of the top five. And those are oftentimes at the root of any of your goals. Again, not about what's wrong with you. What are your goals? And 
work on one of those things. <laughs> if your diet isn't dialed in, and we can go into detail on what that means, if your exercise or something physically active isn't dialed in, if your stress isn't managed, if your sleep sucks, which is a big one for a lot of guys, and if you don't have connections, which actually not having connection is as powerful a risk for having heart disease and early death as smoking. If any of those things are off, work on one. Don't work on all of them at one time, but figure out which one seems to be your weakest link and work on one of those things. And I guarantee you'll be more likely to get closer to that goal. Yeah, I, I love that advice because I was the classic, like, let me try and do everything all at once. And I, yeah. the more the more that I've worked with men, the more that I've realized no, that, no, no. that's like a symptom of like just being a man. It's like, how do I fix everything at once? My right. sleep is shitty, my eating's look crappy, you know, I'm not working out. Let me try and just like reboot the whole system. And that, I mean, I tried for years to do that. It just didn't work. But when right. I did focus in on my on my sleep specifically, which is one of the things that I've also noticed that a lot of men struggle with, a lot of the other dominoes started to come into play because then I actually had the energy to work out in the morning, to do the meditation, you know, to go and get the groceries, to cook and that type of stuff. So right. what are some of the pieces that you see negatively impacting a man's sleep? Uh, big ones. Well, a few things. Number one, screen time, which we all hear about, but it actually makes a big difference in two ways. And what I mean by screen time is right before bed, staring at a screen. And number one, it's the blue light, which many people have heard about. Many of your listeners might be clued into, you know, the light emitted from most screens is the kind that actually triggers your brain to be awake and suppresses melatonin, which is the hormone that you want to be elevated at night to help you sleep. And it's absolutely proven that this wavelength of blue light is similar to what sunlight has. It's the it's the be awake kind of signal to the brain. So if you do want to read before bed, read from a book, or you could read from some of the Kindle devices that don't have the same kind of screen as like a an iPad or other screen or your computer. So that plus the content, a lot of guys and women, but it's, you know, we're talking about guys here are looking at social media. They're looking at websites, especially right now with the news, what it is, they're looking at very stimulating pieces of news. You know, I was an advisor for the NBA and I worked with NBA players all across the country. Um, actually the continent, you know, I worked with the Toronto and some of the Canadian teams as well. And, um, one of the things that they found was that the players who were looking at social media with an hour of bedtime actually had a decrease in shooting accuracy. And, they're, and it literally triggered the stimulation so that their sleep wasn't as good a quality. So I love some of the wearables where you can track your quality of sleep. I use an Aura Ring. There's a Whoop device that Major League Baseball uses that can really track how good your deep sleep and your REM sleep are because you'll find what is it for you. So like the screen thing might be it. It might just be looking at content that's simulating. It could be sugar. It could be alcohol. Everybody's a little different. So if you can find a track, tracking device you like to monitor your sleep you could find out for you what's the thing that makes you feel less rested in the morning um like for me like i said it's sugar you know i actually could get by with with you know less sleep but if i have a lot of sugar then the sleep i do have is really bad quality and then i feel like crap but for somebody else it could be alcohol who knows so mm. i think the screen time though thing is a big thing and then secondarily for sleep it's about um, having kind of regular bedtime, regular wake up time. There's actually studies showing survival is better in people who keep to around the same schedule of going to bed and waking up in the morning. It doesn't have to be every single day, night after night, you have a wedding, you have a party, whatever, but for the most part, and right now a lot of people are working from home and they're getting all messed up in their <laughs> rhythms, but that actually makes a difference as being pretty disciplined within an hour or so of bedtime and wake up. Those are kind of big things. 
Yeah, I've, I've heard that your your bedtime and your wake up time, if you can regulate it, actually uh, helps depression symptoms as well. Yes. And so, like a lot of people that have depression often have very erratic and irregular sleep patterns. You know, going to bed at one yeah. a.m. You know, one night and waking up at 11 a.m. the next morning and then the next night going to bed at like 10 and waking up yeah. at six. And that kind of screws with your with your rhythms. Exactly. Um, I, yeah, I, I appreciate some of the insight in there. It, you know, I think one of the challenging things is that there's there's so many areas, right? You've got sugar, you've got alcohol, you've got weed now, you've got, you know, working out and eating well. And it's I think it's very overwhelming potentially for some people to even know where to begin. Yeah. So when you're working with men who are just starting on this journey, who are like, okay, I work out once once or twice a week, there's not really any rhythm to it. I don't care about what I eat. You know, I drink whenever I want. Where do you suggest that they start? Like what's the baseline of of an entry point that's going to help them start that course course correcting process? Yeah. I mean, I think actually on my website, there's a survey. It's a free survey you can do to try and figure out where your issue area is. It's mm. on drspar.com. But so either do that or just do a little self-assessment. Okay. If, of those five things I mentioned, for example, diet, exercise, stress, sleep, and connection, what's my sense of the one that I kind of suck at the most? And what, and then just pick one, just like you said, like, we're not great at multitasking as guys. So, you know, don't say New Year's resolution. I'm going to work on all these things. Just pick one of those. And either by doing kind of a little inventory um, like I have or just in general, you know, you most guys know, you know what? My diet's kind of off if I'm really honest about it. So I'm just going to work on that. Um, and then pick a simple thing to do. You know, for diet, intermittent fasting is a really good, easy thing you can do. You know, try to just shut your pie hole for, you know, 16 hours if you can in a 24-hour period. There's lots of good evidence that helps with everything from weight loss to mood to sleep to anxiety to longevity, um, restricting your dieting to an eight-hour window. Doesn't require any special equipment. You can still socialize. You just build your social life around that. Very, very effective and easy to do. If it's sleep, just try, like I said, the one thing of shutting down all your screens an hour before bed. If it's exercise, just commit when you're going to do three days a week something and do like high intensity interval training. You can do a 20 minute workout and get a ton out of it if you really push it in this interval style. And there's tons of resources online for high intensity interval training. If it's stress, find an app, you know, 10% happier or uh, insight timer, just find some app to guide you through a mindfulness practice. If it's connection, just make a commitment to connect with somebody that you haven't talked to one person a day for the next week, mm. you know, simple things like that, that you can do. But I think, uh, if you really stop and think about it, those five categories, you'll find the one thing that is your weakest link to work on. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I like, I like having the mindset of like being willing to, to fail, to find that one thing. Yeah. You know, like I know for me, I mean, it took a while to sort of get my sort of health and mindset in the right place. But one of the things that really helped me was just the mentality of like, what am I actually capable of? You know, what am I actually capable of in terms of taking care of my health, taking care of my sleep, taking care of my mindset and my body and my sexual health and all these different pieces. And that right. kind of created this curiosity for me that opened the door. And I've seen that work for a lot of men of like, what are you capable of? Have you ever actually even met? Have you ever even gotten sort of like it's at 90% or 80% or 70% 
towards what you think you're capable of. And for yes. most men, it's a it's a big fucking no. You know, oh, it's I like, love that. Yeah, it's like oh yeah, I've gotten like ten percent there. It's like well, what if you just got like one or two more percent towards what right. you're capable of in the next month, and you use this specifically to try and do that. And that seems to like really motivate and and give us that purpose that you're talking about before. It's like, there's my why. Right. I want to see right. what I'm capable of. I um, love that. Yeah. And those guys, you know, the Great Men podcast guys who introduced us, I think they, I think it's them who talk about, oh, it's like really hard to hear, but like at, at your death, like you are confronted with the guy you could have been mm-hmm. or something to that effect. And so imagine that moment and then imagine what is that guy doing that you haven't even tried to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's that same sense of if you would really push yourself, what would that look like? Yeah. I love, love that. It. Love yeah. it. Well, let's, let's talk a little bit. So I want to talk about, um, I know I'm going to pack a little bit in here, but I want to talk about stress and then testosterone and then the prostate uh, before we get off. Cause these are some, some very integral pieces that uh, that I think that all men you know want to know about and 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 want to learn a little bit more about. So sure, let's, let's start with stress. Like in the book, you you talk a little bit about how to manage stress for optimal health, and you know I know for a lot of guys they are managing more than ever before. Yeah, you know, with technology and task lists and families and you know just everything that's going on. Um, and I find that a lot of men don't have good stress coping mechanisms. And so right. they rely a lot on the drinking, the smoking, you know, right. the porn, you, know, you name it, right? Weed, right. drugs, and that is their, their coping mechanism. So yeah. maybe just walk us through what are some of the impacts that stress can have on a man's body and, and mind from a, maybe a, a chemical or a physical level, and then we'll, we'll go from there. Sure. So, you know, most guys know stress, it's great for an acute period of time when you're under attack. That's what's built for fight or flight. You're being attacked by a tiger or chased by somebody. Your body makes a ton of cortisol, comes from your adrenal gland, and that stimulates all the systems that are about fighting and fleeing. So they're all about pumping blood to the heart, blood to the muscles, ready to run. It's not about supporting maintenance stuff, right? It's about survival. So that's great for short periods of time. When you have that system always on, cortisol is always running, you're not supporting your systems that need to keep you going for a long time, such as your digestion, your immunity, your um, ability to think creatively, because cortisol is all about just get out fast and survive. So that chronic cortisol is actually shown to be toxic to brain cells and to testosterone. It kills brain cells when you have cortisol always going, and it completely shuts down testosterone and reproductive drive, which makes sense because evolutionarily, if you're being chased and attacked, you don't want to be thinking about getting laid or making progeny you can't protect. You just want to run. And so the body's like, okay, no, let's not be thinking about sex. Let's not be making babies that we can't protect. Let's just survive. So that's a lot of why I see guys in their 20s and their 30s with really low libidos or sex drives. And then I check their testosterone and it's really low, abnormally so for their age. And it's, when if I check cortisol, their cortisol is always high because it's literally, they're, they're telling them their bodies don't think about sex, just think about survival. So that, that sense of always being on is literally toxic to the body, but you can absolutely lower that feeling of being stressed out even though you can't get rid of all the stress in your life. And the way you do that is by basically like fake it till you make it. It kind of comes from AA. Tell your body 
everything's under control. Even if it isn't, you make your body think it is. And one of the ways to do that is by doing slow, deep breaths because the body senses, oh, if I'm doing slow, deep breaths, I must not be under attack. Because if I'm under attack and I'm stressed, I'm doing quick, fast breaths. I don't have the time to take slow, deep breaths or something like mindfulness. So that was invented, not invented, it was discovered by Herbert Benson at Harvard years ago and perfected by this guy, John Kabat-Zinn at UMass. It showed you can actually get the nervous system toned down by watching your thoughts, not trying to stop your thoughts because that can make you insane if you're not used to meditating. So it's more like watching your thoughts and realizing, wait a second, I'm not my thoughts. I'm some bigger bigger consciousness that's watching those thoughts. So I control my thoughts. My thoughts don't control me. And that's a huge concept. You control your thoughts. Your thoughts don't control you. And once you practice doing that every day for a few minutes, literally that whole cortisol system goes down and you can think more creatively. You can support your immune system, your gastrointestinal function, and your testosterone comes up. Hmm. So good. I, I love the way that you break that down and you know, the mindfulness piece. And I had Dr. Stephen Hayes on the show uh, last year. He's a founder of ACT, and he talks a lot about this this concept of how we actually start to look at our thoughts in that way. And yeah. really, really powerful reframe. Where you know, I think a lot of men normally use three things from what I've seen to to sort of deal with stress. One's alcohol. The next yeah. is, is porn or sex, and the last one is weed. So yeah. maybe, maybe walk us through the impacts of using alcohol, using weed, and using porn from, from what we know from the research on, on the body and how that can actually impact us. Sure. So, you know, alcohol, um, one to two drinks at most per day is not terribly unhealthy if in terms of heart disease risk and that sort of thing. However... If um, you're using it at as kind of a tool instead of learning ways to cope with stress, then you become dependent on it. So that's the concern with it is then one or two becomes more and it becomes something you depend on. Um, and an alcohol really is like a Band-Aid. It's really just literally making you not give a crap as opposed to teaching you skills or helping actually manage stress. And then if you start drinking too much, it will make your stress worse in your life. So, you know, I think... Having a drink every now and then is not a big deal. If it becomes a daily way to manage stress, it's a signal that maybe there are healthier ways that you can learn to do that. And certainly if it's more than one or two a night, that is really unhealthy for your liver, your heart, and your nervous system. Um, sex, you know, it, it's a similar thing. I would say, you know, regular sex is great. It's not bad. But if you're using it um, in order to avoid dealing with issues, in order to avoid really getting into figuring out things that are bothering you because you can just feel better by either having sex or masturbating. That's a problem. And if you are using, if, if porn is making you have unrealistic expectations of what sex should be, that that's the biggest problem I see among guys. And the major thing is it makes them feel not only what their partner should be, but how they should be able to for perform. So the biggest issue I see with sex and porn um, even if it's not outright addiction, it, it it warps guys' perceptions of how they should be able to perform. And they end up having in real life sexual encounters that are not connected with their partner. Yeah. They're just 
in their head worrying about how long am I lasting? What is she thinking or he thinking? What are they going to post about me online afterwards? <laughs> and they're, I mean, it's, you know, Peggy Ornstein wrote this book about sex and boys that's really telling about how this, you know, the, the availability of porn and social media is really affecting how guys see themselves. So I think that's a whole issue that I'm not a specialist in, but I think it's, it's something that you need to really keep in check, just like alcohol. It's, it's very similar. It's like in moderation, it can be fine. It can be helpful. But if it's something being used for other than its intended purposes, it's not great. Marijuana is more complicated. You know, there's a lot of good benefits to CBD and even a little THC in terms of anxiety and sleep. Um, and so there you know, are some good formulations that help with that. Again, it's a little bit like alcohol and sex. It's problematic if it's something that you have to use every day to cope and to deal and it's something you're dependent on. Just like, um, you know, food can be, you know, you can become, have an eating disorder, but food isn't bad for you. So not weed isn't always bad for everybody. It's bad if it's become something that you rely on that you're using too much of that interferes with your social, your professional life. But it can be a really helpful adjunct when used safely and ideally under medical supervision, or at least getting good medical advice on the doses and how often to use if you need help with anxiety or sleep. I like it better than some of the drugs for sleep or anxiety, hmm. for example, you know, better than some of the benzos like Xanax and Ativan if if used appropriately. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. I know for myself. Uh, there was a period of time in my early 20s where alcohol was definitely my preferred choice of of coping with stress and and anxiety and then sex became that and porn and right. sort of like moved through those gamuts and it was really interesting because I was always trying to to change those and at one day I can't remember I think it was a mentor I'm not too sure where I actually heard it um, but someone said it's not that you get rid of your coping mechanisms it's that your coping mechanisms evolve to support you to be net positive uh -huh. rather than net negative and that was such an interesting switch in my mind because I was like, oh, interesting. Like I can actually have coping mechanisms that support me in a healthy way. And so right. I just started, you know, injecting meditation and breath work and yoga and, you know, all these different practices to help me sort of move more towards, again, that that type of person, that type of man that I thought I was capable of becoming. And, you know, step by step, it actually helped me to create an immense amount of, of progress. And yeah. so I, I like that reframe because then it's it's like, you know, we don't villainize our coping mechanisms. We just right. have them work with us rather than against us. Exactly. Love that's that. that's kind of what I hear you saying. It's like, you know, these things in moderation can support right. you sometimes, but make sure that they're moving you in the direction that you want to go. Exactly. Thank you. Yes, you put it way better than I did. I love no, it. No, 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 no. You, you broke true. them all down. It was, it was great. Um, <laughs> yeah. Okay. So tell us a little bit. I want to move into testosterone because this yes. is a big conversation. You know, I think uh, testosterone counts uh, or, or rates within men is down something like 40% over the last few decades, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And and I've talked about it on the show a little bit, um, but maybe just outline for us, you know, what's causing that significant decrease? You already mentioned stress and cortisol levels. Right. What are some of the other things that are causing that de decrease? And then how do we actually start to tell if we have low testosterone physically yeah so the big thing is age you know that's the biggest reason it goes down and that it, testosterone does decrease with age starting at age 30 unfortunately um starts to decrease 
doesn't mean you don't address it and treat it. You know, you get cataracts when you get older and you treat that. So I, I hate it when doctors are like, yeah, you know, you have all these symptoms of low T and your T is low, but yeah, that's just what happens when you get older. That's literally like saying, well, yeah, you're going blind, you have cataracts and we have surgery for it, but we're not going to do that. Um, so I'd say the stress lowers it prematurely, age lowers it. Um, but also there's clearly, like you said, an abnormal decline and it's, it's actually mirrored by a decline in fertility and sperm counts. Um, and we think that has to do with environment. We think there's just so much environmental toxicity, number one in general, and that our bodies aren't able to detox. And so just like when you're stressed, the body makes less testosterone. When the body senses there's stress on the system from toxic, toxifying chemicals from the environment and exposures, and it's going to blunt reproduction. And then plastics, plastics that we heat up, especially are literally estrogenic and they block testosterone's ability to function. So, you know, heating up water bottles um, and food containers in the microwave, drinking from those giant water bottles, you know, what are they, water coolers that they deliver on trucks that have been driving all around in the hot sun, all of that stuff literally does impact your testosterone. So really trying to avoid environmental um, obesogens and estrogenic chemicals, uh, big thing. And then, so in terms of symptoms, low T is associated with things like fatigue and low libido, erectile problems, but also just plain moodiness and not feeling as energetic as normal, inability to gain muscle mass. So any of those symptoms, I would say point to get your T checked and get it checked by somebody who knows that you don't just check the total number. You have to check the free available to bind amount of testosterone called free testosterone. You have to check estrogen to make sure that balance isn't off, maybe because of your hormone, your uh, genes, and maybe because of environmental exposures. Um, and then check something called DHEA, which is another male hormone. So you want to check all those things and then don't hesitate to get treatment for it. That's part of what we do at Vault Health is we provide testosterone treatment for guys who really need it because low T not only causes those symptoms, if your T is really low, it actually increases your risk for heart disease and early death, um, metabolic syndrome, blood sugar, all of your hormones get messed up if one hormone is messed up. So insulin and other hormones are all affected by low T. So those symptoms are kind of a red flag to say, I got to get these things checked out and either address all the things that could lower the T like stress and environmental chemicals and, or consider getting testosterone therapy if, if you need to. Yeah. Okay, great. And any, like, I think there's a lot of natural cures online that guys are, you know, sort of putting out and you see all these fitness guys pushing. Right. Right. Um, what, what are some of the things that men can do to make sure that their testosterone maybe isn't increasing, but is, is balancing out and, are there certain things that, that we should avoid? Are there certain things that we should integrate? Like, how do we start to tackle this? Yeah, I think, well, managing stress, like we talked about, I probably wouldn't fall for most of the stuff you find online in terms of supplements, because unfortunately, at least in the U.S., Canada is actually better. Canada really monitors supplements in a really good way, and they have a governmental body that checks that. In the U.S., not so much. So you got to get good quality supplements. There are some, there aren't many supplements that raise tea. But there are supplements that help with some of the symptoms of low T, things like Tonkat Ali and Ashwagandha. Maca root is a great one that comes from Native American and South American tradition. Tribulus from Ayurvedic medicine. The ginsengs from traditional Chinese medicine, especially Panax ginseng. So you can find those if you look for good quality supplements. Um, and then I would say the other big thing is exercise. You know, it becomes this like 
positive reinforcing cycle, the more you work out and build muscle mass, the more testosterone you make and the easier it is to build more muscle mass. Whereas the opposite, if you gain weight, fat is actually um, active tissue that transforms testosterone into estrogen. It's called this enzyme aromatase that fat tissue makes. And the more fat tissue you have, the more you divert testosterone into estrogen. So it becomes this vicious cycle. So it makes it harder to then to lose weight and to gain muscle because you have less T. So you want to turn that cycle around and make sure you're physically active. And that really will help boost your T, especially doing muscle workouts, focusing on big muscles like your back muscles, your quads. Certainly you want to the beach muscles. You want your biceps and your triceps and your chest, but make sure you don't skip legs and back, even though a lot of guys do, you know, springtime, getting ready for summer, because those are your biggest muscles and those are going to trigger testosterone production. Great. That's awesome. What about things like pine pollen? I see that being a huge one online. What's your take on pine for pollen? For prostate. Yeah, that's more for prostate. Um, okay. It doesn't do a lot for testosterone. Yes. So there are, and there's something called pollenade. Um, yeah, there's some great supplements for enlarged prostate. Of course, if you have symptoms of getting up a lot at night to urinate or urinating during the day, you want to make sure it's not prostate cancer. So if you're over 50, you got to get that checked out and get a PSA blood test and blah, blah, blah. But if you know it's not prostate cancer and you have an enlarged prostate, there are medications, but short of medicines, there's certainly lots of supplements. So pollinate um, is really good or, or pollen. Um, there's also saw, uh, saw palmetto, which is absolutely proven to help. There's something called um, uh, pygeum, which is something that you can find in prostate supplements. You got to make sure it's not from a overly harvested source that it's a source where they are are making sure they're not uh that it's a what do they call it a replenishable source mm. um, um beta cytosterol is another compound you can find for prostate so there are lots of really good combination prostate formulas that have all those things in their rye grass pollen though is a big one um but yeah those absolutely can help a lot with the urine issues but not so much with testosterone that's great. What what causes uh, enlarged prostate? Like, are there are there certain things that can contribute to that? Because I think that's something that a lot of guys. That's one of the things that I hear a lot of guys worrying about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like getting checked out. Yeah, get it checked out. I mean, age. Every guy is going to get an enlarged prostate if you live long enough, and every guy is probably going to get some cells or prostate cancer if you live long enough. It doesn't mean you even need to treat it, but. Um, other than that, we don't know what causes the prostate to get enlarged. Um, some people think it has to do with estrogen um, and maybe getting exposed to too much. I don't like some of the processed estrogens like soy protein isolate. Um, that It's not proven, but there's a concern if processed soy like that contributes to it. But basically, it's important if you're having urine symptoms, get it checked out. I know people don't want to have, guys don't like the finger exam, the rectal exam, but the blood test isn't great, the PSA test. So usually it is going to be coupled with the doctor sticking his finger up your butt, but you can handle it because just like we talked about testicular cancer, if you have a prostate cancer and it needs to be treated, you're going to be fine if it's treated early. It could be disastrous if it's left to grow. So yeah. don't hesitate. To, don't be afraid of getting it checked out. You know, bend over and take it like a man. You'll be okay. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I've had I've had guys reach out through Instagram and ask me, and I had no idea how to answer this. But you're on the show, so I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you, and sure. maybe you have the answer. But I had guys reach out to me and ask me about sexual practices in the prostate, and yeah. because you know uh, you can you can stimulate the prostate and and cause ejaculation, right? And some men have asked, like, can that contribute to 
to enlarge prostate or like how does that fall in this oh good question let me close my door real quick yeah my teenagers don't come running <laughs> yeah you want to make you want to make sure that the kids aren't going to hear all this <laughs> talk freely um so yeah no you will not cause prostate cancer or enlarged prostate by having any kind of anal play um or having anyone you know manipulate your prostate it can be a really sensitive sex organ for a lot of guys it can you know take them over the edge to shooting and during sex um and it can be very kind of stimulating for guys and there's no harm in that obviously if you know if um somebody's using any larger toys that can be harmful if they're not careful or in the, for the rectum, but not for the prostate. There's no evidence that that causes problems there. Um, there's some concern that um, STDs, though, can cause uh, chronic prostatitis and can cause enlarged prostate. And we don't even know if that's necessarily more common if someone's messing around in, with the prostate with fingers or toys, although if, if something isn't clean, there's a little more risk of that. Um, you know, we do think ejaculating at least two, three times a week is probably healthier than going weeks and weeks without ejaculating. There's some evidence that that actually can cause some issues with the prostate. Um, it doesn't have to be every day, but you know, probably it's healthy to not go too, too long without ejaculating. Um, and again, there's no real science to the exact amount, but generally a couple times a week is probably, you know, uh, a, an amount that you won't have problems if you go less than that. Um, but you also aren't going to have problems if you ejaculate two times a day, three times a day. You know, if you, if that's, unless it's, you know, to me, I'd get nothing done, but other than lack of productivity, it's not going to mess with your prostate. So don't worry. The other big thing guys ask about is, you know, ejaculate itself is, is there an issue if you have less cum volume than you used to? There really isn't, you know, that's not known because most of your volume of your semen comes from your prostate. The sperm comes from your testicle, but most of the liquid's coming from your prostate. But, you know, that's not a big deal if you notice the change of volume. I don't know what causes that, but it doesn't seem to be related to anything cancerous or enlarged prostate. Um, and every once in a while, some guys will see blood in their ejaculate. It's really scary and freaky if suddenly you come and you see it red tinged. If it happens one time, honestly, it's nothing to worry about. It's really scary. You should you can check in with your doctor, but they're going to say, oh, if it just happened one time, you probably had some irritation in your prostate. If it happens more than once, it could be a sign of infection. So you want to get that checked out. Awesome. And when you say more than once, you mean like more than once a year, more than once a week? Um, I'd say more than once in a like three month period of time. Cool. Good. Yeah. yeah. And for we're going to end off in a very interesting way. Can, can you can you walk us through like if a guy wants to do check his own uh, testicles at home and like what what should he be looking for? Because I think you know like there's there's you can go online and find breast exams and like how you actually check right. for lumps. What you know what does a guy need to be looking for? Maybe not necessarily how to do it. But what right. is he looking for if he's... Let me show you. So, yeah, 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 exactly. I thought, I thought you were going to say if a guy wants to check his own prostate. I was like, oh, okay, yeah. that's, <laughs> that's, that requires some acrobatics. But, um, Things you've never been asked before <laughs> on a podcast until this morning. Right. Okay, right. This is the right. No, so testicles, yeah, it's important. You know, at least once a month, you want to just... Most guys are feeling around there anyway, but make sure you feel around. Basically, what you're feeling for is anything attached to your testicle, any, especially something round and hard that feels separate, but attached to your testicle. So it can be like as small as a pea, 
Um, and, and that's when you would start to feel it. If it gets as big as a marble, that's really bad. Now it doesn't necessarily mean that it's cancer. There are cysts that guys can have, but it means you got to get it checked out. So you're just feeling around the entire circumference of each ball. Make sure you feel all around the top and bottom and sides and just feeling for any attached hard nodule from the size of a pea on up. And don't freak out if you have like something that feels like a bunch of worms. That's called a varicocele. Again, you can get it checked out, but that's not what you're really worried about. You're worried about something that feels hard. Hmm. Awesome. Thank you. I appreciate you giving us just a little bit more insight and I know like last year I had a, actually had a lump in my upper chest in, uh-huh. near my shoulder. And, uh, and it was, it was pretty big. I was like, no, that's no big deal. And I'm always on my wife about like her health and taking care of herself. And she was like, right. She was like, babe, you need to go get it checked out because right. you would not be letting me get away with this. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, no problem. And it Very good. Be, turned out to just be a cyst and everything was all good. But I, I even noticed it in myself that, resistance towards going to get it checked out even though yeah. i do this work and i talk about it all the time and i'm very conscious about health i even notice the resistance and so i think you know i just wanted to put that out there because i think it's so important the work that you're doing the conversations that you're having you know supporting men in getting their health checked and i really appreciate you jumping into this topic with me today um, just a Absolutely. wealth of information man um, anything that you'd like to leave people with in terms of some of the topics that we covered today uh, and then maybe just let them know where they can find out more about your book and vault health and, and we'll we'll wrap up from there yeah no i think we covered it i think yeah definitely check out um the company called vault health that i'm chief medical officer of because we are doing telehealth specialized men's care all over the country we're not in canada yet but we are all, all over the country rapidly expanding and able to really be the experts that you're looking for. And then I have my book, Optimal Men's Health. And we also have a podcast we started um, called the Get It Up Podcast. Um, It is by Morningwood Productions. Um, But so check out the Get It Up Podcast as well, because it's just like we were answering at the end of this, this one, you know, just like very plain questions that a caller calls in and wouldn't ask anybody else, but they can ask us. And it's myself, a urologist and our chief uh, executive officer. So. Check That's it out. great. Awesome. Well, thank you so much uh, for sure. being here on the show. This was a pleasure. And for everyone that's listening, definitely go check that out. You can also check out uh, Dr. Spar's book, Optimal Men's Health. Um, it's it's really, really f- uh, phenomenal. It covers some of the stuff that we talked about today and so much more. Uh, so you can check that out on Amazon or on his website. And uh, don't forget to share this podcast episode man it forward share it with someone that you know would benefit from it uh and until next week this is connor beaton signing off